Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Electric Cities Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Today's podcast is coming to you from downtown Hamilton on this early March weekend afternoon. As one of the key nodes in the greater Golden Horseshoe area, Hamilton is enjoying a renaissance of sorts. Old rundown buildings are being reanimated and new ones are filling the sky thanks to a slew of new investments in the downtown core. The city's population is on the rise, local and regional transit connections are improving, and there's real swagger in the city's emerging arts and culture scene. All told, Hamilton is no longer Toronto's neglected neighbor to the west. Instead, it's fast becoming the place to be. To talk about Hamilton's rising appeal and how the city is managing its growth and long-term plans for its future, I'm joined by Jason Thorne, General Manager of Hamilton's Planning and Economic Development Department. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So um, we're doing the interview from the comforts of your home here on uh, Barton Street, right? Near near James. Is That's that, right. Is that correct? Um, and just walking along uh, James Street, I was struck of all the, uh, what appeared to be a lot of reinvestment just in this particular area. So tell me a little bit more about this this particular neighborhood and some of the changes that's that has gone through over the years. Sure. So yeah, we are right, uh, pretty much right in the heart of downtown Hamilton, James and Barton. Uh, and I, uh, I, I moved to this neighborhood two years ago, uh, having grown up in Hamilton, but I always, I grew up on the mountain. I grew up in the more of the suburban part of the city. So uh, moving into the downtown core two years ago was, was new for me. And, and you're right, this is a neighborhood that is seeing quite a, in, in some ways seeing quite a lot of change in other ways is still very reminiscent of what it was 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, so there are certainly an influx of new residents coming in. We are, from where we are right now, we, we can walk five minutes in either direction, 10 minutes in either direction, and hit two different GO stations, um, and from there be anywhere in the region. And that has certainly made a big difference to downtown Hamilton. That connectivity has been key. Uh, and we have also just seen a lot of investment, particularly on the James Street corridor in the last couple of years. Uh, and that investment, most of that investment is actually locally driven. Uh, most of what we've been seeing happen on on this street in particular, on uh, on other older commercial streets in the city like Lock Street, like Ottawa Street, um, it's a renaissance, as you mentioned in your in your introduction there. Uh, for the most part, it is a very locally driven renaissance, hmm. which I think makes it a little bit more unique maybe than what some other um, sort of resurgent Rust Belt cities have seen. So it's, it's local interests, it's local businesses, it's local entrepreneurs that are seeing opportunity uh, in, in this particular area. And is this indicative of what's happening throughout the rest of Hamilton or is, is, it, is it sort of spotty? So there's certainly, we're seeing growth all across the city. And actually, the more majority of our residential growth that we're seeing is still in areas like Waterdown and Upper Stony Creek, um, to a lesser extent in Ancaster, West Mountain. Mm-hmm. We're seeing growth really all over the city. Um, I think what's been most talked about in Hamilton, though, is the growth that's happening in the downtown core. And, and one of the reasons for that is just because it's an area that had not seen growth and in investment for probably a generation or two. And uh, so it's really been a remarkable story of, I'd say, the last 
especially the last five years, six years, is where we've seen a lot of that change happening in the downtown core, um, which, which quite frankly, probably a lot of people had written off um, and, and had kind of forgotten about. And now it's really become a place that's generating a lot of excitement. So why was it neglected for so many decades? And um, why all of a sudden in the last five years is there so much interest? Well, I think it's a story that's played out not just in Hamilton. It's a story that's played out in other cities of disinvestment in your older urban areas, um, of uh, declining populations leading to declining services, stores starting to close and shutter, um, concentration of poverty in, in, in a certain area. Um, it's, it, that's not just a Hamilton story. That, that was seen in a lot of areas. It maybe hit a little bit harder in Hamilton being sort of an industrial manufacturing city historically. Um, that's a sector that obviously um, experienced some very difficult times through mm-hmm. the 70s and 80s and through the 90s. Um, and that was really, the, the, the downtown core really bared the brunt of that. The downtown core has historically always been an area where um, a lot of the, the workers in the industrial area um, would have lived. And so, so it felt the impact of that change. Uh, and then what's driving some of the, the resurgence of the downtown, again, similar to what we're seeing in, uh, in other cities around the world, which is um, a desire to, to, to live in urban areas again, mm-hmm. a desire to be close to amenities and services and arts and cultural opportunities, um, great restaurants, uh, people who want to um, maybe not have to drive to get everywhere they need to go, more access to services by walking, mm-hmm. by transit. Uh, so that story that's playing out in other cities as well is also playing out in Hamilton. Uh, and then we can't, um, can't ignore the, the impact of, of Toronto. I mean, we, we are next to mm-hmm. um, you know, the economic behemoth of Canada, sure. and, uh, and certainly that has an impact on our city. And we certainly have seen as housing prices in particular have gone up in Toronto, uh, but not just housing prices, um, uh, commercial lease rates, industrial lease rates, all those sorts of things, office lease rates, all of those things rising in Toronto um, has generated a lot more inquiries and interest into the Hamilton opportunity. And we are seeing a lot of influx coming in from Toronto for sure. Okay, so you're getting this influx from Toronto because people are uh, dissuaded by the the, house, the phenomenal house prices. And so they're looking at Hamilton as a, a desirable alternative. But are these people still um, forced to commute to Toronto, or, or is the economy itself in Hamilton really starting to pick up in other sectors? There's certainly some who, folks who are coming to Hamilton and, and commuting back to Toronto. Hamilton has traditionally not been what I would call a commuter city. Um, if you look at commuting patterns in the region, um, Hamilton has typically had um, about 70% of the people who commute in Hamilton commute within Hamilton and never leave Hamilton. Okay. You go to another 15%. Um, they leave Hamilton, but they only go about as far as Burlington. So that's about an 85% capture rate within the Hamilton-Burlington market. So we have traditionally not been the bedroom community that the Oakvilles and the Mississaugas um, and the Burlingtons have been, where they might have 50-60% of their population out commuting into other cities. Um, so, but, but it is growing a bit. We're, see, we're seeing uh, a slow growth in the number of people who are commuting into Toronto, or at least commuting into the, into the, the eastern GTA. Um, but we're also seeing a lot of people are coming to Hamilton who maybe they have to make that commute once a week, maybe twice a week. Um, but they are people who are also working from home. They're also picking up spaces in co-working spaces. There are people who are, you know, working in the gig economy, um, partially self-employed, mm-hmm. um, freelance kind of work. Uh, those types of people are really attracted to the Hamilton market because you don't need to commute 
every day. You don't necessarily need to be in Toronto for any particular reason. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot of increase in, in home-based employment um, and then a lot of increase in workers in the creative class, a lot of arts and culture workers. Uh, we're seeing a lot of growth in that area as well. And so those folks who are finding opportunity, who are moving, relocating here because they're, they're finding the charm of, of the heritage buildings and, and all of the different, um, uh, I guess, the infrastructure and just the, the community feel, um, are they, I mean, again, is there enough, enough of an economic vibrancy in the city to keep all of these entrepreneurs uh, humming along, or are, the, are, these, are these different home-based businesses and entrepreneurs, are they dependent on the Toronto GTA economy to keep them going? I think there's certainly dependency on the GTA economy, okay. but again, that's, I don't think that's just Hamilton. We, we, we have to accept the fact yeah. and celebrate the fact that we're a regional economy, and, and, and I don't see any issues with that. I think that's a great thing, that we have each of our municipal markets and city markets are, are tied to one another. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think in Hamilton, there's certainly an opportunity where uh, you, you, you can start a business, you can, you can be employed and stay within the city. Um, but there always is going to be, I think, that connection back to the to the to the biggest market in the country. Mm-hmm. And and again, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think it is one of the strengths of what Hamilton has to offer. We talk about it in our economic development planning when we're when we're when we're pitching new investors, the proximity to the Toronto market is certain something that's important. But at the same time, uh, we have a very strong uh, local economy, and something a lot of people don't realize is. Um, Hamilton actually has one of the most diversified econ- economies mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have a very strong industrial and manufacturing base. Um, we are not a post-industrial city in the same way that some American Rust Belt cities are, for example, where mm-hmm. they talk about um, the complete decline and disappearance of their industrial base. Um, we don't have that. We still employ thousands of people in the industrial sector, manufacturing, um, but add to that a very strong uh, health sector, post-secondary education. Mm-hmm. I mentioned already the creative sector, service sector. Um, it's a very diversified economy. That's terrific. So that's all the good news. Um, and I've heard Hamilton been, uh, be characterized as a mid-sized city. So what are some of the, the big challenges um, on your minds or the city's minds uh, that you see, I guess, now or unfolding in the near future that you need to tackle? Well, the, certainly there's there's challenges of being in a mid-sized city. There's also a lot of great opportunities mm-hmm. of working in a mid-sized city. And there's actually, there's been a lot of sort of discourse amongst urbanists these days about mid-sized cities, um, both in the, in Canada and in the United States, because um, it was maybe something that was a little bit overlooked before. We talked a lot about our, our big urban markets, our big global cities, um, and now people are starting to pay, pay more attention to how important those mid-sized markets are. Um, and we are definitely one of those. As you said, it comes with its challenges. Um, I, I'm in Toronto a lot, and um, I go to other big cities a lot, um, in New York, in Boston, in Montreal. And yeah, you get a bit of enviousness about what about some of the um, investments they're able to make. I look at some of the, the public realm improvements, some of the park improvements, okay. some of the, um, the institutions that get built, the, the concert houses, the, um, the galleries, those sorts of things um, that are... Um, really the domain of, of, of the big, wealthy, global mm-hmm. cities. Um, we don't have as many of those opportunities mm-hmm. in a mid-sized city like, in, like Hamilton. Um, I think our, our, our budget for, for parks and public realm is, a, is probably a rounding error mm-hmm. in, in, when you compare it to the, uh, what, what is available in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So you do have to be very 
creative uh, and very strategic in trying to stretch your investments as far as you possibly can. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that Hamilton's very, been very good at is um, making lots of really smart, small moves. Um, and then when the opportunities for a big move comes along to try to grab it. Is there an example that you want to uh, point to that, that demonstrates your ability to be very efficient with the, the limited budget you have? Well, I think what we've tried to do, for example, um, so my department's responsible for, for planning, um, and what we've been trying to do in terms of the, uh, the planning framework that we're setting up, the zoning framework that we're setting up, is to try to make it as, as turnkey as possible for new development, mm-hmm. um, to try to make our, our regulatory environment as flexible as we possibly can, uh, so that we have the opportunity for investment coming into our city, um, it can turn into sort of a bricks and mortar project as quickly as possible. Okay. I think in a mid-sized city, there's, there's just there's probably more pressure to be uh, to be nimble in in how you approach your your regulatory regime uh, than maybe exists in some of the larger cities. Okay. Um, but also the um, you know when in how we deploy our public art investments and how we deploy our you know when we're doing streetscape improvements, um, trying to take advantage of every opportunity that comes along. I, I want to get back to that in a sec, but I, I have this the um, the latest issue of OPPI's um, Why magazine. This is kind of a reincarnation of um, OPPI, for those who don't know, is the Ontario Professional Planners Institute, and they have a magazine. Uh, I'm a planner, and you're a planner, and um, so planners get this, this magazine. It's been sort of rebranded as Why. Um, and uh, towards the back end of the magazine, there's a two-page spread about yourself and the work that you're doing uh, in, in Hamilton. And in the article, we learned that this is where you grew up. But unlike a lot of other chief planners across the province, you did not follow the conventional route of rising through the ranks to become top planner within the municipality. Uh, instead, your career was cultivated elsewhere. So tell me more about that and, and how you eventually came to be general manager of the city's planning and economic development department. Sure. So I've been in the role for uh, about five years, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it is my first experience ever working in a municipality. Okay. Uh, so I certainly did not, um, I, I didn't rise through any municipal ranks, that's for sure. And actually, I, I guess I came to planning, I didn't study it in school either, so I, so I don't have a um, academic background in planning at all. I studied environmental sciences. And focused, you know, I, I wanted to work on environmental issues. That's, that was the career that I sought out for myself. In the first probably 10 years of my career, I was doing environmental activist work, uh, working for activist groups uh, initially in Hamilton. I moved to Toronto and was working with some organizations there on a range of issues, everything from, you know, watershed protection uh, to uh, preservation of agricultural lands and, and natural areas and uh, air quality issues. Uh, and as I was working on these environmental issues, I, I increasingly realized how much of that was traced back to how we plan and build and design cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I started university, I didn't really know what planning was. Didn't mm-hmm. know anything about it. Um, That's pretty typical. You'll find planners who kind of who kind of just fall into the role, uh, not sort of setting out initially out of high school for that. Yeah, and I gotta say, it's one of the things I, I I quite like about the profession, and I hope the profession never loses, is that people can come to it from a, from a wide range of backgrounds. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, as, as as I learned these sorts of connections, um, I became interested in planning, um, and I th- and so I just started working in planning. I didn't I didn't go back to school or anything like that. I, I got my first sort of what I would call planning job was working for the provincial government. Um, if you back when uh, the the liberal government uh, first came into power, mm-hmm. um, if that was back in two thousand and three, mm-hmm. I believe it was, right. and 
if, if you recall back then, um, that government came in and they were talking, stopping urban sprawl, pre- mm-hmm. preserving green spaces in agricultural land was a major plank sure. of their election platform. Yeah. They talked about they were going to create something called a green belt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I looked at that and I thought that's, that's something I could be really interested in. So I joined the province, um, worked for the uh, Ontario Growth Secretariat mm-hmm. on the Places to Grow initiative the first time Ontario had really gotten back in the game of doing regional planning mm-hmm. in 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 a couple of decades, and uh, and also working uh, on on the Greenbelt plan, and that was a that was a fascinating, exciting time to be working in in, in provincial planning and right. regional planning, and and I learned I kind of learned planning on the job, uh, and then I went from there. I had an opportunity to be part of another brand new initiative that a new organization created called MetroLinks, mm-hmm. which at the time I think was about thirty people, and uh, and I was the director of uh, um, uh, policy and planning there to develop. A regional transportation plan again, something you know new for the region that hadn't been done in quite some time. So I really got to be on the sort of the ground floor of a couple of what I still think are, are the growth plan and the regional transportation plan, two of the really fundamental uh, planning documents that are shaping the province, and two of I think was the most significant planning initiatives of probably that first decade of the of the of the two thousands. And uh, and then from where there went into into private practice. Um, and when I was doing some consulting work, um, not so much in Ontario, mostly mostly in Western Canada and overseas, was happily doing that. Was working for a great firm with a great group of partners, uh, and uh, and then my hometown called and said they had an opening for the general manager of planning and economic development. And and of course, how do you say no to that? How do you say no? I, but you know, again, you didn't have a, um, a formal training in planning. And I guess thanks to the Liberal government uh, winning the election in 2003 and coming up with this platform, very ambitious platform, I guess if if the Liberals hadn't won and we had another government with a different uh, agenda, do you think your your career path would have been somewhat different? It's a good question. I haven't haven't really thought about it. I suppose so. I I suppose I probably would have stayed in the activist world um, and uh, and continued to advocate for, for the kinds of changes from from the outside of government, as I had been doing at that time. But but like I said, when I saw a government come to power that seemed to be really committed to a lot of the things that I thought were important, um, it seemed to me that that was the time to, uh, let's see if you can try to be part of change from the inside. So how did you, I mean, so the city of Hamilton called you and said, we think you'd be great for this this role. Did you, did you have any trepidation or you just jumped right in and, and you're learning as you go? Uh, I, I had some trepidation. Like I said, I'd never worked in municipal government before, so I didn't know m- much about what's it like to work with a, a, a municipal council. The politics at the local level are very, very different than the politics at the provincial level. Um, and I hadn't done a lot of work in, in sort of development approvals. I, was a, I had worked in policy planning, sort of big-scale regional planning. Um, so, yeah, there's a little bit of trepidation. And then the scope of the, of the job was about so much more than planning. Uh, it is the, the department that um, that that I'm I'm leading is you know planning is is just one division among many within that group. So I had a huge learning curve on a whole bunch of other aspects of really what are key ingredients of of great city building. Uh, but I had a lot of learning to do in, in terms of what all of those different roles and pieces were. Really interesting. And now you you seem to be someone in the profession that a lot of seminars and conferences, both locally and abroad want to bring you to their conferences to speak. Uh, I understand today is uh, March 
3rd, and yesterday I think you were in Toronto for a City Building Expo, which is um, co-sponsored by Ryerson and, and UFT. And tomorrow you're at ULI Toronto's seminar on Denmark and Canada's path to innovative cities. I, I, I discovered that you will be at the City Nation Place Conference in Los Angeles later this year, and, and there's a host of other... Um, First of all, how does it feel to be called to all these conferences, and, and why do you think that you're being asked to, to go to all these uh, uh, conferences and seminars to speak? It's certainly very very exciting, um, not something I had done, uh, frankly, a lot of in the past, and I think it is, you know, it's, it, it's mostly the fact that Hamilton is starting to get some some intention, you know, nationally and even and even a little bit internationally as a city that has that has undergone a real renaissance and a real change. And I think there's a lot of interest in the Hamilton story and, and what is behind the Hamilton story. And the, and the more I can talk about that and share that, um, I, I'm happy to do it. Uh, I think there's also interest in um, the, I, I think Hamilton has done something very, very clever and, and something very smart. And I take no credit for it because it all happened before I got here. Uh, but the creation of the department that, I, that I'm leading, the bringing together of, the, of these different roles and functions of of planning and building and engineering and transportation planning and economic development and parking and bylaw enforcement mm-hmm. and arts and culture and tourism, um, all of these elements that in most other cities are divided up amongst multiple silos. Um, Hamilton uh, made, I think, a very smart move to bring those together and to recognize that, again, I would say, especially in a mid-sized city, you'd you don't have the luxury of having those those functions spread all over the place. You got to bring them together and mm-hmm. get as much um, uh, capacity as you can out of those different disciplines. And I think that's been one of the interesting stories to tell. And 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 a couple of the the sessions that you mentioned there um, are about exactly that. About how do you bring together all of those different pieces? It's about the you know what does good governance of great city building look like? Mm. And I think that's an, an interesting story that Hamilton has to tell. Um, and um, and again, I think there's a lot of interest in the success that Hamilton has had. And so this is a, a cutting edge uh, sort of governance model that that Hamilton has established. Are other mid-sized cities looking at this and saying maybe we should break these silos and, and do a similar thing? Uh, yes, and, and, and I think many have. I, I think the the pattern of bringing together um, planning and economic development, I'm starting to see more and more of that, uh, recognizing uh, how closely linked those are. I think Hamilton um, has gone a step further with um, especially arts and culture, bringing that into the fold, because um, that is really key, especially in a city like Hamilton, that is so key to our economic development, um, that that has to be a part of it. Um, but also when you when you look at some of the, what are some of the key issues that either get in the way of great city building or make for great city building, um, so much of it comes down to um, Roles and functions that I think are are not thought about often enough: um, parking, mm-hmm. parking enforcement, bylaw. Mm-hmm. Um, these are these are functions that they can make or or, or break your your initiatives to try mm-hmm. to try to change and improve your city. Uh, so having those within this broader department, I think, has been um, it's been eye opening for me as a, as somebody who came from a background of of planning as a professional planner to realize how important planning is. Uh, but also how limited planning is if that's all you can do is make really great plans. Um, it takes so much more than that to really transform a city. And I, that's what I'm learning every day on the job in Hamilton is how much of great city building actually depends on professions and disciplines and functions 
in so many other aspects. So do you have any examples of some outcomes, uh, successful outcomes as a result of this sort of unified, amalgamated uh, set of departments under, under one person's leadership yourself? There's certainly many, and, and, and I see it every day just, just in the small things of um, a new business or a new restaurant trying to open up. It is, it is so great to have you know, planning and economic development and your engineering approvals and your building permit approvals, all of these things, your licensing, getting your new business license. Basically, everything you need to get going and get started is, is generally contained within, within one big shop. Um, Another example, we, uh, we, we put a lot of effort in, uh, uh, into developing a music strategy for the city. So mm. we really looked, as part of our, uh, part of our economic development uh, strategy, uh, about how important arts and culture was and how important music was in particular. Hamilton's always been a very strong music city. We have sure. a strong music sector, and we see that as really one of our competitive advantages economically. And so uh, we worked a lot with some really fantastic people in the music sector to develop a strategy. What more could the city do to try to help support and develop this sector? Um, but again, mid-sized city, we don't have super deep pockets to do all of the great ideas that came out of it. Um, very um, you know, limited amount of staffing resources we can put into it. I have about half of a person's time mm-hmm. to support the music strategy. Um, so we had to be very creative in terms of how many resources we could put into this. And we've had, I think, some really great successes, some things I'm really proud of. And most of it, not most of it, but much of it didn't actually even happen out of sort of what we call our music office and the staff in our music office. So just a couple of examples, you know, the our music office and the music industry had identified concerns, really more of nuisance issues around um, uh, loading zone restrictions around music venues. So we mm-hmm. said, okay, that's something we can change, um, but it didn't take the music office to do that. That was the parking enforcement team, and the parking enforcement team led some change there to create special loading zones around key music venues. Um, we also had uh, one of the really key thrusts of our of our strategy was we need to create more opportunities for musicians to play in the city. We needed more mm-hmm. more venues, and so. Uh, one of the initiatives that came out of it was to rezone places of worship across the city to allow them to be performance venues. Interesting. Um, that was led through the planning division. Uh, we also looked at creating more opportunities for people to be able to bring artists in and have live music on outdoor patios in some of our, our, our restaurants. Um, to make that happen, uh, we needed to have our bylaw team and, and, and change some of our noise bylaw issues as well as our, as our zoning issues. So these are all key steps towards making Hamilton an even better music city. Mm-hmm. Um, but they happen in parking enforcement and planning and bylaw enforcement. And so when you can have all of these different, what are usually fairly disparate elements within a city governance structure on the same page, working towards the same goals, you can really make some interesting things happen. But that that's the one area I'm just, I'm just a little bit confused about is... Um, if you have if if you went back to the this sort of the more traditional model where you have the different departments um, and you have city leader mayor or the CAO wanting to see the music um, industry improved with whatever uh, tight resources you have if you have several different departments are you saying that it's it's a little bit more cumbersome or a little bit more difficult for the departments to work together because they report to different um, heads I think it can be. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but but it can be more difficult. And uh, and you still, whatever your bureaucratic governance structure is, you still need a supportive mayor and council. You still need a supportive city manager. And I've and I've been pretty lucky in that in that we have that in the city of Hamilton. Um, I think one of the what 
helps in terms of having this team all under one roof what is that you know we have some fundamental um, policy documents in the department and they are they are departmental policy documents so we have an official plan we have an economic development strategy we have a cultural plan and because these are all you know the economic development plan isn't it a plan of just the economic development division. It's I see. a plan it's of the department. To planning. So there are actions and priorities within that plan that speak to every aspect of the department. And we all need to get behind each of those plans and see ourselves in each of those plans. Uh, and I think that's the value of having those functions under one roof. Speaking of planning, I, I do want to spend a, just a, a few minutes talking about the Hamilton Secondary Plan, which I think you have tweeted about, and we, it's I, I think it's received a lot of attention. Um, this is the Downtown Hamilton Secondary Plan and the corresponding zoning bylaw. Um, so how was the approach to land use planning for this secondary plan different than other municipal downtown plans? Well, I think there's a few a few policy issues we wrestled with um, that uh, we, we came up with some creative uh, ways to address in, in the downtown secondary plan. I, I think it's one of the, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the best downtown plans I've seen of any city in the country. I may be a little bit biased. <laughs> right. um, and I think what uh, what that team uh, was able to accomplish, so, um, you know, Steve Robichaud, who's, who's the chief planner in the city, really led the group and wanted to come up with um, a plan that, made our downtown as development ready as possible. So uh, we made a very conscious decision to say, we aren't gonna play the games of artificially downzoning sites and forcing applicants into um, an unnecessary zoning amendment process Mm -hmm. to secure heights and densities. Um, So one of the biggest, boldest steps was just to pre-zone the whole downtown. Hmm. Um, So we we came in, the the team did did some excellent analysis in terms of what are the supportable densities and heights in different parts of the downtown, um, and pre-zoned them at those densities. So we can be able to say to to, to people coming in the door, the zoning that's in place is the zoning we will support, not more. You know, we, we haven't, you know, shaved it down by 25% just so we can kind of have some negotiation with you. The zoning that's in place is the zoning that the city will support. Um, it's tied to some really key values within the city, one of them being um, heights of buildings can't be taller than the Niagara Escarpment. The Niagara Escarpment's a real defining uh, landform feature of the city. Uh, and then we, if, and then with, within that as a right zoning permission, you can now just go straight to a site plan approval process for your project. Um, it is. Uh, it will be much quicker. It will be much uh uh, simpler. We have very clearly defined expectations of what we're going to want to see at the site plan stage, uh, and and really, it's you know Hamilton's been a fairly um, has, has been quite a pro development city, um, and especially in our downtown core, which which is our which is our urban growth center within the region, which is the area we see concentrating most you know most of the growth and, and density intensification in the city, and we wanted to reflect that desire within the policy framework that we put in place. Um, but we also had to deal with some of the issues that, again, many other cities uh, face about, okay, as this downtown is going to change, how do we protect uh, the heritage buildings that we have? How do we make sure that we're securing um, a range and mix in housing types and and, um, and keeping um, a good af- mix of affordable housing and rental housing? Um, so we built that into the, in, into the permissions of the secondary plan uh, so that some of those will be protected as well as the, as the city changes. How did the... Uh, land. How did the landowners respond? How did the development community respond? And how did the uh, local residents respond to uh, a very bold, fairly bold approach to 
uh, applying, you know, a, a zoning bylaw in terms of height and density, which uh, they've probably never seen before and, and maybe is unparalleled compared to other mid-sized cities? For the most part, quite well. Um, this this was not a quick exercise. We spent a couple of years um, consulting with the industry, consulting with the neighborhoods about um, what they wanted to see uh, reflected in the secondary plan. So there was um, quite a bit of engagement that went into it. Uh, at the end of the day, it did get appealed. We came close to it not getting appealed. There were a couple of appeals uh, that came forward, uh, but really just a couple of site-specific appeals from some property owners who, who weren't... Um, supportive of the specific designations that came in on their properties. Um, it was not a situation that I've seen in other secondary plans where you have you know, 30, 40, 50 appeals, right. everything from site specifics to just wholesale appeals of everything. Um, there were a small number of limited appeals, and I think that was reflective of the fact that it generally had pretty good support. The, the public meeting where, where the plan was adopted, uh, we had a number of people coming out and, and speaking in support of it. And uh, um, and, and council was very supportive as well. They, they, that's a pretty bold step for a council to take, to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to pre-zone this area. We're going we're gonna to declare up front, this is what we will support. Um, because, of course, now when an application comes forward, it's not going to land in front of council. It's not going to go to planning committee because it doesn't need a rezoning. It just needs a site plan approval, which is just a, a delegated staff authority to approve. Um, so in some ways, it's, it's, it's council very, I, I think, boldly saying... Um, if you build within this framework, you don't need to come to planning committee. You don't need to come to council for that approval. And the developers have responded very positive, positively to that, I guess because they want certainty. They want to be able to narrow down that timeline uh, from the, the point of purchasing a property to finally getting that building permit. Yeah. Um, I think that certainty sounds like it's uh, almost paramount uh, beyond trying to tinker away at the official plan for or zoning bylaw for greater for greater density. Uh, would that be the case? Yeah, they certainly, you know, the development industry doesn't want the time and expense of having to go through official plan amendments and rezoning applications. Um, so they like to have that certainty. They, they like to know what the expectations are up front. Um, I think it's also important just in terms of the setting the expectations in the real estate market. If, if you don't have those expectations clearly set, yeah. then it really starts to d- drive speculative investment in property. Sure. And, and property transactions taking place with maybe unrealistic density expectations built into the pro formas that they're using to calculate what those land values are going to be, and that creates all sorts of distortions. Uh, so we want to be very clear and upfront in saying, this is our vision for the downtown core. These are the these are the height and density permissions. These are the other um, requirements that we're going to have tied to those. We put in provisions around protection of heritage. We put in provisions around replacement of affordable rental. Um, so again, that, that's stated clearly up front. Mm. Are there um, any projects in Hamilton that you want to showcase? Now, if you switch your hat from a planner to economic development, what are some of the, the projects that you really think um, are a testament either to this new secondary plan or to some of the other investments going on in the city? There's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a number that I'm quite excited about. We had, the, the last two weeks, we had two of our um, uh, historic theaters reopen in the city. Uh, we had the, the, the 1930s Westdale Theater uh, reopen two weeks ago. Uh, two days ago, I went to the grand opening of the Playhouse Cinema, which is a 1913 cinema uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the lower city in the East End. And these are locally owned? It's not run by the, the cineplexes of the world? That's right. These are, these are going to be locally owned, independent theaters. Um, and uh, those are the kinds of really 
you know, that that's not going to drive the economic development of the city. But those are those really symbolic moves that really, um, uh, I think, get the community excited and, and start to really send a message that there really is something significant and important happening in the city. Uh, another one that I'm quite excited about is, um, if you know downtown Hamilton, you know Gore Park. It is kind of our, it is it is the core of our downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, it is surrounded by um, a number of uh, historic buildings um, that have been dis- in disrepair for for quite some time, for decades. Um, have been vacant, many of them, for decades. And uh, we have now, either in progress or just going through the final stages of the approvals process. Um, initiatives that are going to uh, restore and revitalize probably 70% of the buildings fronting onto Gore Park. Oh, fantastic. Um, again, mostly, um, you know, mostly it's restoring the buildings uh, that are there, mostly local investors, um, and that's going to be um, you know, for someone like myself who, who grew up in Hamilton, who spent a fair bit of time, the record shops used to be right around Gore Park. So I spent a lot of time visiting those when I was in high school. And in my memory, those buildings have just always been vacant. Mm-hmm. Um, and to start to see some businesses going back in, some offices going back in, mm-hmm. some, some residential properties overlooking the Gore um, is going to be really, really exciting. Um, and then we've also got, um, you know, we have... Uh, around our airport, we've been identifying that as a as a as an employment district for the city for quite some time, um, and it's been gone, it's gone through a fairly lengthy exercise of planning approvals. We're just now in the stage where we're starting to do some of the final servicing, um, and there's a lot of investment interest right now in the airport, and seeing a lot of new um, um, uh, jobs coming in and investors coming in uh, that I think is going to be quite exciting. Um, and maybe just the last one that I'll mention, which is also quite exciting, is um, the, the Stelco lands on the on the industrial waterfront. Okay. So this yeah. is um, these are lands that have been um, not vacant, but I think underutilized for quite some time. Is that uh, the one near the West Harbor GO station, is, or is it, no? That's uh, no, that no. This is this is further east okay. in the industrial area. This is. Um, um, well, the original Stelco property um, has now been um, a new investor has come in, and they're and they're and they're calling it Stelco again, which is great. Um, and we're about to see a number of lands kind of coming on market there, um, serviced industrial lands right in the heart of our industrial area. So again, to see see businesses coming there again, to see jobs coming there again, um, is is. Uh, is, is very exciting. I want to end off our our uh, podcast interview just to talk a little bit about social media. And it's it's an area um, I've raised with uh, past guests on the show, how people like yourself who are heads of a planning, economic development, or other sorts of important departments are moving to uh, social media, particularly Twitter, to get a message out. And I, I do follow you on Twitter. And I noticed just the other day that uh, Brent Tauterian, uh, who is a former chief planner for the city of Vancouver, he recently said that you are, and I quote, arguably the best example of a current chief planner that really understands Twitter and using it smartly and effectively. Clearly, you have an audience that likes your use of Twitter. So why do you use it? How does that get the message across? And what's your approach to using it? Um, I use it for, for a couple of reasons. It, 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 is, it, it is my personal Twitter account, so it's not any sort of official communications right. channel of the city of Hamilton, although I do talk an awful lot about stuff happening in the city of Hamilton, obviously. Uh, for me, it yeah, it is a great way to just get out the message of some of the interesting things that I think we're doing in this city, um, but also in other cities. I, I, I love to travel. Um, I'd love to go to other cities. I often will meet with, with planners when I go to other cities and, and learn more about what they're doing, and, and I think it's a great way to um, communicate to to people back in Hamilton or or anybody in sort of the local area, 
what some other cities are doing and maybe some of the things that we can be aspiring to or learning from or being inspired by. Um, I follow a lot of urbanists and planners, and that's um, you know it's a great way to learn uh, what else is happening out there. Um, so I use it for for a number of different reasons. Uh, I, I think probably like a lot of um, you know municipal bureaucrats or or provincial bureaucrats or politicians, you have a bit of a love hate relationship with social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do need to have a bit of a thick skin. Mm-hmm. Um, it does mean you know you can wake up on a Sunday morning as I was o- often do, and you and you. You pick up your phone and you see what's happening on social media, and of course somebody's blasting you for doing something. Right, uh, and it's you know that's that's twenty four seven. You you can't get away from it. Uh, so it it does um, you know it, it can wear you down sometimes. And uh, how does the city feel about all this? About being, um, I, I know it's your personal account, and you may have a you you probably have opinions out there. Is there is there an attempt to kind of control how city uh, officials, city bureaucrats are using Twitter to uh, to put out a message? Uh, well, we certainly, like, like any city, we have, we have a social media policy, and it does provide some some guidelines, but it's pretty sort of, I would say, um, obvious stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to tweet out confidential information sure, and, and things like that. Um, I tend to use it very positively. I don't, I don't, you know, my, my, my intent is not to go around blasting something that another mm-hmm. city's done or, or criticizing things. I, I like to try to focus on the positive of things that I see that, that get me excited. Um, again, sometimes, you know, you're traveling in another city, you see something that's really interesting, you tweet it out, and of course, the, one of the response back is always, well, why can't we do that in our city? Everyone's mm-hmm. always asking, why can't we do that in our city? Um, and I think, you know, to me, it's not about... Everything is something that we're going to implement tomorrow, and, and and every great idea that some other city is doing is not necessarily applicable in your own. It's just um, let's learn from each other, let's be inspired by each other, um, let's share some of our best practices and stories. And I think one thing that um, that social media has been great for is interesting, good initiatives travel really far, really fast, and become very influential, um, you know, a, 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 across across the world. Yeah, and. Um, you know, it's great that that Brent Todarian had sent that out, and he and he's a good example of someone who um, is is very active on social media, travels around the world, and is a great communicator of what other cities are doing. And I think that has such a positive impact. Um, you know, for for municipal planners yeah. like myself, um, you get to see it. You know, on your it's phone, happening. the best of the best of what's yeah. happening around the world, and that's really inspiring. And and um, I can tell. I mean, it's 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 evident that. Um, you're very excited about your current role, and you're you're in the enviable position of of managing a mid-sized city and and trying to cultivate it in the right direction. Uh, it, these these are terrific times for Hamilton, and um, all the best with the continued positive growth for the city. and um, And keep tweeting. I look forward to reading more. Thanks very much. It is, it is a great place to work in, in in the city. I have such a great team that I get to work with every day. Um, people who are, many of them, born and raised Hamiltonians who are very excited themselves with what's happening in the city. Terrific. Okay, thanks again, Jason.